0: I'm Scott Benson. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Scott. And it's by the uh, grace of God, the actions of Alcoholics Anonymous and Sponsorship that I've been sober since May 23rd of 1989. <laughs> <laughs> what? The uh, Happy Birthday uh, Northern Plains group. Uh, the uh, the uh, kind of a lot of... Uh, A lot of emotion and a lot of history has uh, transpired in the last year, going on your sixth anniversary, and uh, I uh, have the, I want to thank Aaron for asking me to share. The, um, I spoke at your first meeting through, I was living in Spokane, Washington, and at your first meeting, for those of you uh, that, that weren't here, there's 32 people here. And at the first meeting of NPG, and it was the last uh, Tuesday in April, and I was living in Washington and just happened to be kind of, vaca- I can't remember exactly, I think I was vacationing or something, uh, here in North Dakota, and Jeff and, had asked me to speak. And when I spoke at that meeting, I would have never guessed that six years later, it would have grown as much as it's grown. And all of the secretaries touched upon it in one way or another, is that the uh, what saved my bacon and probably is saving the bacon of anyone that's been here for a little while is that someone went out of their way to be helpful. You know, the backbone of Alcoholics Anonymous is one alcoholic helping another alcoholic. And I didn't, when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I did not think that Alcoholics Anonymous would fix what was wrong with me. Um, And uh, the, uh, the people that There's many people here, but your past secretaries are people that I love and respect. And I have probably heard, I suppose, I've heard a lot of, uh, I suppose, uh, not-so-spiritual things about all of the past secretaries. And I still love them and I still respect them because in Alcoholics Anonymous, as you hear in many uh, circles, but in Alcoholics Anonymous, you... uh, you, uh takes a carpenter to build a barn, and uh, any jackass, excuse my language, can tear it down, and these are people who've discovered the key to staying sober is intensive work with other alcoholics, that that works when other activities fail, and um, that they're people I love and respect uh, because of that. They... Uh, is all of our flaws, and we're all flawed people. That's what brings us together. Um, it is in coming together and be help, in, in being helpful to one another, uh, and that's what they do. I mean, in my book, uh, if you're uh, helpful to other people, uh, I think you're a winner in Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't... Uh, the uh, I was asked to uh, share in a general way what I used to be like, what happened, and what I'm like now, and... and uh, to talk a little bit about my alcoholism, um, I had, uh, as far back as I can remember, I always felt like there was something wrong with me. I felt cursed with red hair. And let me tell you something. If, you're, if you don't have any hair, you have red hair, you do have it harder. And uh, I really felt like uh, I was given a raw deal from day one. I didn't know who my father was. And uh, so I felt like that was a uh, wedge against me. I knew that his name was John Thomas. And oftentimes after I started drinking, I would, and I knew he was from Florida and he, I knew he had a brother named Oscar and I would get drunk and I'd call information and, uh, for John R Thomas, any city, Florida. And, uh, I would call pe- I would call these John Thomases and ask them if they had a brother named Oscar. And, um, but I never had the uh, courage to do something like that sober. Um, and I loved what, when I started drinking, I loved what it did for me. Because I always felt like, um, there's a lot of people in Alcoholics Anonymous that have tattoos. Unfortunately, because I was a never was, uh, is how I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. I wasn't a has-been. There's some has-beens. I sponsor some has Mike, uh Mike F. is a has-been. But I'm not a has-been. I was a never was. And um, I was... Uh, Actually, I take that back. My one big accomplishment prior to Alcoholics Anonymous is I I grew my hair to the middle of my back. That was my accomplishment that I had contributed to life. um, But I I always felt like I wasn't enough. I felt like people talked down to me. And what I've discovered in Alcoholics Anonymous is that when I have low self-worth, that when people are trying to teach me, I think they're talking down to me when they're trying to teach me. Uh, Because I think that even though I feel uh, like there's, I'm missing something, I have too much of an ego to actually ask for help. And so I try to wing it. And uh, oftentimes that has been one of the biggest things is I compare my raw insides to other people's outsides, and I come up short every time. You know, your secretaries, I would love to have Jeff's wit for a day. Well, I'll take that back, for about four hours. <laughs> and uh, the, uh, I would love to uh, have uh, Chad's... Uh, uh, Chad, if you get to know him, one of the, I didn't see what happened. So if you get to know Chad, the one thing about Chad is he will really go out of his way to be helpful. Um, and if you get by the fluff and what comes across is arrogance, which is really uh, not arrogance at all. Uh, but sometimes, you know, I, you know, he's always had the right shirts, the right bikes, the right Everything, and um, and um, Kirsten, her uh, her, uh, she's got a lot of excitement. And uh, I wish I had a tattoo story like Kirsten. And uh, and then there's Mike. You know, the first time I I was living in Jamestown. I've lived in Jamestown a couple of times, and I don't mean to be jumping around, but I don't ever know what I'm uh, going to talk about. And I remember one time I heard someone in Alcoholics Anonymous say that if you have to take notes. And talk that it's not coming from the heart. And I asked my sponsor what he thought about that, and he said, "Apparently, they've never heard you speak." And uh, and uh, so I I never know what I'm going to say, and I'm too insecure in my time and sobriety to pull out notes, although I did write them, by be embarrassed to display them. Um, And uh, but anyway, getting back to Mike, because that's what Mike wants to hear right now is Mike is. is uh, I knew he was going to be okay in Alcoholics Anonymous because when I met Mike, his sponsor was Jeff, and I knew Jeff would take good care of him. But I also knew that Mike was willing because any time I went to Minot, whether it was a Saturday night, a Thursday night, a Monday night, Mike was at a meeting. Mike was at a meeting. That's my earliest memory of Mike. Um, Kenny, on the other hand, he was (laughs) – Kenny – I remember one time Kenny telling me that he – really thought that selling vacuum cleaners or something along those lines was really going to turn his life around. <laughs> and um, some some sales job that was – I remember when I was uh, new and uh, one of my first non-sponsor uh, 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 approved actions was uh, I quit my job uh, doing dishes to sell rainbow vacuum cleaners. And they'd sold me that I was going to be rich. And I remember the first day of the interview that after about an hour, anyone who looked like a salesman was gone, except all of us that didn't look like salespeople they hired. Go figure. Anyway, that that little experience is why my sobriety date is May 23rd of 1989 and not January 10th of 1989. I was one of those guys in Alcoholics Anonymous that I... I took two one-year chips because I never told anyone I drank. And I remember I would I would say to myself, I would go to sleep every night thinking, how am I going to fix this? How am I going to keep my sobriety date but be honest? Because I know this honesty, this rigorous honesty thing's got to be important because they got it all over Alcoholics Anonymous. But, of course, that's what a, a good uh, four steps for and a good fifth step. But anyway, um, uh, so I've known Kenny a long time and uh, – I've watched him grow. And uh, uh, there are qualities. Kenny's very decisive. Sometimes he's decisive in the wrong direction, but he's decisive, and I appreciate that about him. And, um, and Aaron is always uh, very kind. And uh, she, uh, I think she spots that I have, uh, no matter how hard I work Alcoholics Anonymous, I am. Uh, I am uh, often intimidated by the opposite sex and stay away from them, other than my wife, of course, because she's married to me and my bride. But I'm just, whatever, it's just part of my personality. Uh, for For fear, I will be embarrassed by, it's the same fear I had in high school, why I never said hi to anyone, all these things. When I'm sober, what my problem is, is I cannot be comfortable in my own skin sober. And our book describes it as being restless, irritable, and discontent. I'm always restless, you know, I'm opening the cupboards, closing the cupboards. I'm irritable, and my irritability takes two shapes. I'm either on the muscle with people, intimidating people, or I isolate because I can't stand how people live or how people treat me. And I'm discontent. Whatever it is I have is not good enough for me. It is not good enough for me. And that's what I, uh, uh, in school... When I would walk down the hall, my biggest fear was I would say hi. I never said hi to anyone unless they said hi to me first. But my biggest fear is I would say hi to someone and they would say, what are you looking at, you dork? And uh, thus, it was easier just to walk by people I knew with a strange look on my face. And, um, but that same scenario, drinking, I remember getting drunk and going to school and uh, high-fiving my Fayette instructor. And I don't ever remember having that kind of excitement towards life unless I was drinking. And, of course, that got me suspended from school. But um, it was still, nevertheless, I loved, once I started drinking, I loved what it did for me. And what it did is it took a guy like me that never felt like, enough, like I was enough and made me feel enough for a while. The problem with that is that I couldn't seem to control the amount of alcohol I took. Once I started drinking, I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know if I'd wind up in Glenborn, North Dakota in a wheat field, wondering how I got there. I didn't know. One experience, Jeff always reminds me, he likes this story, and I kind of like this story too, is uh, I was drinking one night, and I'd been to treatment uh, because of my drinking, because when you drink and you, Drink like I drink, you tend to get in trouble with the law. And so I'd been to treatment a couple of times and knew I probably shouldn't drink, but I believe that if I, if I, uh, if I only drank a couple of times a week, I'd probably be okay. And on one of these couple of times a week, I uh, started drinking and, and, I, and I blacked out. And I was familiar with the blackout because they described it in treatment. And I, I used to always think that blackouts were – I didn't know whether to believe them or not when people would say you did strange things. And, you know, you never do good things. There are always terrible things that you do in a blackout. But I have a blackout. And I think some of the reason I share this is that it's a demonstration of alcoholism, but I'm also looking for someone to actually say that was my yard. But um, <laughs> I suppose deep down – uh, is that I, I, uh, I, was, uh, I came out of a blackout, and I'm driving a car. It's my car. I know it's my car because the wires are hanging out of the dash. And I'm the kind of guy that gets it done just enough. And uh, I got it done just enough to get the stereo working. But I'm driving, and I look beside me, and there's a guy I don't know. have no idea what, where he is other than in my brief conversation with him, I was able to deduct that his wife was giving birth to their baby at the hospital, and he's out drinking with me. Then I glance in the rear view mirror to notice that now I've got a 1974 Olds Omega with the Inline Six. It was not a hot car then, isn't now. But, <laughs> but I had boat equipment in the back seat and coming out the back windows. It was apparent that this dude does not own a boat dealership. Real apparent. And uh, I did not say to myself, Scott, you can't drink. It's just crazy for you to drink. What I said to myself is I will never drink Mad Dog 2020 again. <laughs> because if that's what it does to you. And, of course, by the way, that night someone in Mandan, North Dakota, got a yard full of boat equipment. <laughs> hey, we're good at coming up with quick solutions. I, uh, the other thing that's funny about that, the next day, my mother had told me, my mother had been in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous, and all I knew about Alcoholics Anonymous was I knew a little bit about the men of Alcoholics Anonymous, and they always wanted to help my mom, and then they wanted to move into our house. And uh, so I didn't like Alcoholics Anonymous. But she was always, she was always uh, wanting to... Uh, When she would get sober, she'd want everybody to be sober. That was one of the things I suppose I hurt my mother with the most, as I used to tell her things like, You think everybody's an alcoholic because you're an alcoholic. And I am so grateful today that she did, because I got sober young, and I've been able to uh, do a lot of things that a guy like me shouldn't get to do. Like, what a privilege it is. This is, uh, what a privilege it is to speak in front of this meeting. Um, because guys like me, that doesn't happen to. But anyway, um, my mother, the next day, she told me if I kept driving drunk, she was going to sell my car. How dare her. And the next day when I woke up, or the next morning or afternoon, about 2, I moseyed on out of the, my bedroom and looked at the kitchen table, and there was a wrecker receipt in 25 bucks. She sold my car. She still hasn 't made amends to me for that, come to think of it, but I suppose she doesn't need to um, I have a teenager now, so i'll see what I get to experience but um, what comes around goes around i suppose um, but so i'm'm I'm, I know i shouldn't drink and i and i can't seem to st- stop drinking because the pain of sobriety is what the curse is. People tell me, Scott, if you just don't drink, you'd be okay. And I would try to just not drink. But I didn't have any hope. I saw the world as nasty. I thought a nasty pain. I was the guy. Now, I've gotten a sponsor. Well, this is a kind of a funny story. What comes around goes around in alcoholics, Anonymous. But I was the guy in school that when they do the team captains thing, I was the guy that they'd argue that. The captain wanted on the other team, the last one picked. You know, I was like, no, you take him. No, 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 you take him. And um, today, I've gotten to sponsor a few of those team captains and straighten them out on kindness and compassion. <laughs> but um, I was really, uh, and I, uh, I did, I did virtually anything to change the way I was feeling because I did not feel enough sober. And that's why I would continue to drink, even though, you know, if the pain of our drinking kept us sober, the first time I did something painful, I would have stopped. But see, I've got this obsession, this obsession that says somehow, someday, I can control and enjoy my drinking. And I have an aunt that's allergic to peanuts. When she eats a peanut, she gets hives and her throat swells up, where she's literally such one time in her life, she ate a half a peanut and this happened. And she has never thought, boy, Maybe I can eat peanuts if they're in Snickers. I've had worse things. I've had, I have had terrible things happen to me drinking, terrible things that you can't even share from the podium. And yet I thought, well, maybe if it's a different town or if it's a different brand or maybe if I have my friends watch me, boy, what, what a that's a terrible solution to, for an alcoholic to say, all right, friends, I want you to make sure I stay in line tonight. You know they're in for a, just a terrible night and um the uh the uh i uh one time uh anyway, I probably need to uh get sober, but I was just absolutely had this obsession that I couldn't get rid of that some way somehow I could control it, and I never see e- even though all my experience said it was t- once I started drinking, there was I had no control over what was going to happen, how much I would drink. And I usually drank until I passed out or blacked out or ran out of booze. So anyway, if, you're, if you drink like I do, at some point or another you get sent to treatment. At some point or another they tell you to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. And so I wound up in Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't want to be there. Um, it was not the, something I wanted to accomplish in life. Hey, I want to go to AA. Um And I started going, and what saved my life was a guy in Alcoholics Anonymous got my phone number. And uh, he was gone, and and, uh, I had uh, drank. Now, I drank knowing that if I drank, I would go to jail for a year. I was to go to AA meetings for a year, two a week. And that if I drank, I would go. And that didn't keep me from drinking. And the cycle was on again. I was... I was literally, I'd given up on Alcoholics Anonymous one more time. Now, mind you, I'd never really given it a try. I'd never worked the steps. I'd never really had a sponsor I listened to. I never went to meetings regularly. But I'd given up on, on Alcoholics Anonymous. And this guy, a guy by the name of Scott T., um, got my phone number, and 10 days later, because he got back in town, he called me. He called me when I was on my way out to drink again. Had he not been taught to call other people in Alcoholics Anonymous, I might not be here. Because that guy called me, and for whatever reason, I decided... He asked me to go to coffee. And for whatever reason, I decided to go. And he shared his story with me. Um, And uh, I thought it was the first time I'd really identified with alcoholism, because I'd never identified with alcoholism. People always talked about some of the consequences of drinking, and I think the consequences of drinking vary. Uh, But what happens to me... um, How I feel sober and what drinking does for me is what determines whether I'm alcoholic or not. Not necessarily um, some of the consequences. And um, he kind of, he made Alcoholics Anonymous attractive and he would call me and take me to meetings and he made sobriety seem fun. And I thought maybe... Just maybe this would work for me like it had him. Now, I had a hard time believing he was like me because when I met him, he was six or seven years sober. He had a nice job. People liked him. I was, uh, I was, uh, I had the crazy mind. I didn't know what I was going to do. I mean, one of the thoughts I had was I was going to join the military because I'd always tried to get into the military when I was drinking, but I kept getting DUIs and uh, they frowned on that. You know, I discovered if you have one, you can get into the the Air Force. If you got two, you're uh, nipped down to the Army, and if you got three, you can't get into any. And, um, but um, he, uh, he said, you know, if you do what we do in Alcoholics Anonymous, your life will get better. And uh, ultimately, uh, I got involved in a home group, and he started taking me and and uh, some of the other guys he sponsored uh, through the uh, steps, and my life began to, began to change. And it changed... Uh, Never as fast as I thought it should, and uh, the um, I was thinking about, uh, and I don't know how much time I have left, but I I really thought that um, I really thought that I would have a miserable life. I really did. I thought that I left a state hospital in Jamestown, North Dakota, with the diagnosis that I would spend the rest of my life going in and out of institutions. What a bleak diagnosis. And but for Alcoholics Anonymous, that had been the case. Because it literally took someone like me that I was absolutely unteachable. I resented the world. You know, you hear about people who had chips on their shoulders. I had two chips on my shoulders. And I didn't have a lot of hope. I I always kind of felt like a second-class citizen. I always felt like uh, my case was too severe. Um, And uh, Alcoholics Anonymous totally changed the course of my life. And really what I wanted to do when I first started coming to Alcoholics Anonymous, I wanted to stay here long enough to uh, get off probation and move to California to dye my hair blonde and live on the beach. Because I really thought if I had blonde hair, things would be easier, and I really thought if I lived in California, things would be better. And what happened was I fell in love with Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, my, uh, one of the greatest things that Scott uh, passed on to me was the idea that nothing – so much will help me stay away from drinking is intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. And that does not seem like an attractive solution when you don't have a job and you don't have know what you're going to do in life. And I think that what happened was is he, he uh, encouraged me to go to college, which I would have never done because I had never heard the, really heard the word college in my house growing up. I didn't know anyone who had went to college. and um, he, And I started going to college and I started going to meetings and, one thing about school is it's kinda of interesting looking back in my sobriety, at one point there was six of us that lived in this house and um I uh stayed active in Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I always worried I would be the one that didn't make it because one of the things that my first sponsor, uh his sponsor said to me, he there was three of us in a room and he said, A year from now, two of you will not be here. And I thought I was one of the two. I thought I, I thought, Oh, I'm, I'm screwed because uh, Mark is a much better AA member than me. But you know what? We're all still here. And uh, I think that uh, part of that is is that, you know, a home group is very, uh, a home group to be a part of and to help build. And, uh, you know, uh, my sponsor's wife talks about today that we don't shoot our wounded in Alcoholics Anonymous because if we did, we'd all be dead. And uh, that I need to have... You know, I've seen everybody's, or the people I know anyway. I've seen their human side, and no matter how how hard I work, Alcoholics Anonymous, I will not, never, never rise above being a human being. However, I've been given a program of action in which I can look at my part in things, which I can find my part in things, what my wrong is, where I can make amends, try to balance the books, to make it right, to ask for some guidance from God, to talk to a sponsor when I'm not sure. Uh, what direction I should go in and to uh, turn my thoughts to someone I can help because I did what I wanted, when I wanted, how I wanted and going after everything I wanted and that got me in and out of institutions. That got me crying myself to sleep. I mean, I, I always felt like people looked at me like I was a loser but at the end I felt like a loser. At the end I thought about uh, when I was sober, what baffled me about alcoholism, I thought, why is it I'm six months sober and I'm more suicidal now than I ever was drinking? And so I have to find a light way to live sober comfortably in my own skin. And nothing has helped me more than than uh, in my involvement in Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, you know, the uh, my sponsor told me that uh, the guys that you work with will become your best friends, and that you'll get a, see a get a front row seat in in the people a lot of people's lives. And that's been uh, the case for me. I, um, when I was, uh, I'm always, people who know me, um, in Alcoholics Anonymous know that I I really have a desire to be helpful. And I think one of the reasons that I have a desire to be helpful to other people is because it has helped me so much. It has helped me get through things that I don't think I could have got through otherwise than trying to be an example for someone else. And uh, one of the things that happened to me, when I was about two years sober, uh, going to sc- school and busy in and Alcoholics Anonymous, so I got a call from a uh, relative of mine. And uh, I was too busy to return his phone call. And um, a week later, when I, it was convenient for me to call him back, I discovered that, that uh, he'd left, but he was trying to reach me to go to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, and that uh, they were, uh, he had went to California and shot himself in the head. And um, I always think that um, it's important to, for me to do what's in front of me, and that's one of the reasons that I think it's so valuable to uh, one. One of the most spiritual things that I can do is do what I say I'm going to do. But the other thing I can do is, is, is do what's in front of me. When someone calls me, call them back. When I see someone struggling, give them a pat on the back. Oftentimes we talk about, you know, I would say the welfare of the new person is very important and that I want to I be around the people that want to be here and that sometimes the person still struggling isn't the new person. I've had many struggles in sobriety. It's six years sober, Chad got to hear my uh, money doesn't matter talk as I threw my laptop across the room to demonstrate that theory that money doesn't matter. And... Uh, after what had happened was is they wanted a new guy i 'd been working with at the jail to move into the house we were living in, and they, uh, as their sponsor, they overrode me and said they did not want this guy from the jail living with us because they would perhaps he would steal their stuff and to demonstrate that money doesn 't matter, I chucked my laptop across the room, of course, after they left i Quickly made sure it worked again. And, I, call, and I, I was training Alcoholics Anonymous. I knew that I was getting warning signs there. And so I called my sponsor. And my sponsor said, well, your house is, you're not running a mission. And that if they don't want them to live there, that maybe that, uh, that's the right thing to do and you ought to go along with it. And here's how you're going to make that right. And it gave me a comfort knowing what I was going to need to do to make it right because I caused a lot of damage in my drinking and and I'm quick to blame other people because that's what I always thought it was. It was other people. And what I've discovered is is that I am the creator of of 99% of my problems and that focusing on Scott does not fix anything and that if I am to, uh, I think the, you know, I need to move towards God's will for me and that doesn't always jive with my will for me. In closing... To give you a little uh, bring up to speed on NPG, I don't know that I had much of a part in in in, a, in in the Northern Plains Group, but I know something. When I was four years sober and I was graduating from college, one of the things I'd done is I joined the National Guard because I always wanted to be in the military, and I went to Officer Candidate School, Officer Candidate School, because I don't you know I want to be in charge too, you know, <laughs> and uh, I uh, they would not give me a waiver. For criminal convictions, and I was pissed. I thought I'm four years sober. I've been active in Alcoholics Anonymous, and it's just you know. And I was you know I was thinking about writing senators, suing the National Guard, any number of things. And and I talked to my sponsor, and he said, you know. Uh, something better is out there. Why don't you do the next indicated task? And the next indicated task at that point was, since I wasn't going to commission and wasn't going to be an officer in the National Guard, it meant that I wouldn't have a job out of college. It meant that I would have to start looking for a job. And so I started mailing out 10 resumes and cover letters a week, and I got a job. And uh, first I thought they were, I should start a company for rejection letters because I got a lot of them too. And, um, but I got this job, and this job took me to Jamestown, North Dakota, and Jeff was one of the people that helped me move down there. And that first night, we went to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that meeting was Chad B. At that meeting was Chad B. I put your two co-founders together because they ran into me in brief periods of their life. And because of living in Jamestown, North Dakota, a lot of things have happened to me that wouldn't have normally happened. One, I, got to, I get to live in the town in which people told me I would spend the rest of my life going in and out of institutions. And they're right. But it's only to take meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous into. (laughs) And I've got to watch. I've gotten a front row seat in a lot of people's lives, a lot of people's lives that a guy like me doesn't get. The other person that was at that meeting was Mike S., a guy I sponsor here. There's at this meeting. I've You know, there's people that I've sponsored. There's I don't know how many people that I sponsor are here tonight, but people I've had a front row seat in. And a guy like me doesn't get a front row seat in anybody's lives. I'm usually a taker. I'm not a giver. And Alcoholics Anonymous allowed me to be a giver some of the time. And in closing, I think I'm out of time. But today I have a, my, my bride, Shannon, who's my wife. And uh, I think that she is my, my uh, life's companion. And we do things because of the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous that allow us, after being married, to continue to build our relationship. I have five children, and um, I keep busy. And um, I keep busy with them. And I uh, have a business and, uh, that I kind of always wanted but never thought it was possible. And all those things are contingent, and I love them, but all those things are contingent on me putting my recovery first. Because if I don't have my recovery, we've got to remember, I'm never was. If I don't have my recovery, I will get real uncomfortable sober. And if I get too uncomfortable sober, I won't be here. Because there's a lot of good people, smarter than me, more spiritual than me, that are not here. And uh, there are a lot of people that uh, at one time sat beside Jeff and Chad at meetings that are not here. And I'll guarantee you the one thing I know about people that aren't here is they're not doing as well as the people that are. They might for a little while. But usually, uh, i just seen another obituary of a guy I sponsored in Jamestown at one point that what you didn't see is it didn't say he died of alcoholism. It just explained his life where he moved from this town to this town to this town to this town to this town and started all these different careers. And he was in that midst of brief recovery followed by worse relapse. And I I hope that we all have time to uh, to, uh, go out of our way a little bit to... uh, be encouraging to someone who maybe isn't doing as well as we are that's sitting beside us. And uh, thank you for my sprouting.